Coming up in this week's City Pentecostal Church Sermon of the Week. You see, Jesus preferred the house of Zacchaeus to the house of the high priest. He didn't go to their parties. He didn't come to their meetings. He didn't applaud when they did their stuff. Jesus went to the house of sinners. He went to the poor. He cared about the lost. He cared about those who were set aside. He, he spent time with those that society rejected. As we begin the Holy Week with Palm Sunday today, Pastor Harlan Purdy takes us back almost 2,000 years ago when we celebrate the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, and commemorate the events of the final days of Jesus' life when he received much praise and adoration from the crowds as he rode into Jerusalem during the Jewish Passover festival. Thank you again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message titled Palm Branches and Praise. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, amen? Just to remind you again that we are now having two Sunday morning services. The next one begins at 11 a.m., and we're doing that so that we can uh, enable more folks to come to the first service and more folks to come to the second service. There he stands. It's on the Mount of Olives. His journey into the city will begin there. Now, the Mount of Olives is deliberately selected by Jesus as the official starting point for his entry into the city of Jerusalem. It makes sense. The Mount of Olives overlooks the city and the eastern side of the temple. And so Jesus will enter through that way. But it also makes sense in view of Jesus' interesting interest in acting out or in performing before the people his agenda, informing them through images, through events, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, informed by the prophecies that we find in Zechariah. Jesus intends to inaugurate a series of events that will identify him as Messiah, the great Davidic king. What will they do? Decisions. We make decisions every day. We make many of them. Most, most are relatively minor. But some, every once in a while, there is a decision that is of monumental consequence, of monumental significance. Some of our decisions will be so critical that they will determine the rest of our life. Not only the rest of our life on earth, but the rest of our life forever. The decision that was made on that day for some, the decision that you will make today is of that caliber. It's of that nature. Jesus came as the king, but Jesus was rejected. Our text begins a section in the Gospel of Mark. Begins a section from chapter 11 to chapter 15 that deals with the intensifying controversy between Jesus and the temple authorities, the leaders 
of the nation, the spiritual leaders of the nations, the ones who should have most readily recognized him, the ones who should have been first to acknowledge him and to follow him. But we discover that Jesus clashes with them, begins the section with this in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. Will you stand with me for the reading of God's word? As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Tell him, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found the colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead... And those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Lord, Help us to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus comes into Jerusalem in an odd way, in a unique way. He comes, however, as king. We see the, the crowd is gathered around him, and the crowd's They've been listening to him teach. They've been listening to him preach. They've, they've seen the miracles. They've heard the stories and they've all heard of his reputation. And so they yell, Hosanna. Interesting word. It means save now. Save now. It's a cry for help. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord comes from Psalm 118, verses 25 to 26. And that psalm, at this point in the history of Israel, has come to be known as a messianic psalm. The psalm says in these, in these verses, Save now, we beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech thee, give us success. Blessed be he who enters in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Mark's Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, represents and presents the very first part of these verses. Save now. Save now. Why would they cry that? Well, because they're living under Roman bondage. They don't have freedom. They, They could be walking down the street of any town, any village, and a Roman soldier could walk up to them, take hold of them, and say, here, you carry this. And they had to carry it. 
could send them on any errand, could do with them pretty much whatever he wanted. And they had only one choice, obey or die. The Romans were in control. They ruled. Hosanna is a cry for help. Jesus is coming, presenting himself in a recognizable way as their king because he knows that he is the one who can save now. He is the one who can help. They wanted deliverance, and Jesus was the one, the only one, who could provide it. The problem is that the crowd didn't understand what their deliverance involved. They didn't understand what it would take to save them. They didn't understand the depth of their need for salvation. They were thinking in terms of deliverance from the Roman bondage. Jesus was thinking of deliverance from the sin bondage. For man can be free from physical bondage, but not be free. But not be free. There are people who are in solitary confinement in prison that are more free than people who are walking on the streets of Blantyre. Because they're free in their spirit. They're free in their heart. They have the freedom from sin. And they have the hope of everlasting life. The crowd didn't understand. They didn't know. They didn't recognize the impact and the import of Isaiah 53 on the cry that they were now crying, Hosanna, save now. Then they said, blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. In verse number 10 of, of our text, they, they, they talk about the kingdom of David coming, and they believe that in Jesus it's being inaugurated. Again, they're drawing on Psalm 118 and, and this text. The crowd is recognizing Jesus as Messiah. All of their action. All of their response indicates that they are willing to take Jesus right now, that moment, to Herod's temple. Take it to Herod's court and crown him king. They were actually looking for a crown. They were going to put it on his head. And they were going to begin to yell, Hail King Jesus! Hail King Jesus. They were ready for revolt. They were ready to march in revolution if Jesus would lead them. Jesus comes riding on a donkey. Doesn't seem like a very potent entrance to us. You know, uh, riding on a donkey doesn't seem like it's all that significant or all that important. But the donkey in Jesus' day was a royal animal. The donkey was not just any animal. It was the royal animal. And when the king came, you hoped he would be riding a donkey. Because when the king rode the donkey, it meant he was coming in peace. It meant that he was coming not to harm. He was coming to save. He was coming to heal. He was coming in peace. They are thinking about 
the passage in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 38 to 48, where Solomon, in the midst of the turmoil, David is now old. People know he's on his deathbed. The end is near for David. So everybody is thinking about who is going to be his successor. Who will reign in his place? Absalom has tried, and, and, and the crowds are thinking about some of the sons of David. But David has promised the throne to Solomon, and Solomon is God's choice. And so David figures out that he better get ahead of the game. He'd better deal with this before he's gone, because if he doesn't, the country will be in turmoil. And so what he does is he sends Solomon out riding on his donkey into the city declaring that Solomon will be king of Israel. Solomon will succeed him. Solomon is the son who will sit on the throne. And so the crowd, they're doing everything that they're doing. They're recognizing all of the imagery that is happening before them. They are shouting and screaming, King is coming! The kingdom of David will be reinstated. David's kingdom will be inaugurated again. Jesus, however, knows that that's not possible yet. There's a task that needs to be done before he can rule and reign. But Jesus is willing to be their king. And he does something very interesting. He goes to the temple as king of the Jews. Amid all of the shouts, amid all of the drama, amid all of the activity, the songs, the reciting of scripture, the pointing back to the messianic promises, the declaration of hope and belief and faith that now, this moment, today, these scriptures are being fulfilled. In the midst of all of that, Jesus rides his donkey to the temple gate and slips off and walks into the temple precincts. And Mark chapter 1 verse number 11 has got to be one of the most anticlimactic conclusions to a story that you can find anywhere. He goes into the temple. He looks around. Just kind of stands there for a short time. Looking. Gazing. Doesn't call for swords. He doesn't send people to the armories. He, he, he doesn't even yell, Church! He just looks around, scratches his head and says, well, it's late, nothing happening here, let's go home. Have you ever wondered why it ends that way? Have you ever read that verse and thought, huh, what happened? What's, what's going on? This is... Am I the only one? Am I the only one that sees this stuff and thinks, hey, this is weird. But 
Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, you're weird too. <laughs> Why does this happen? What is Jesus doing? Well, you see, if you go back to the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 9, is the prophetic text that talks about this entrance. And I won't go back and read it to you, but it, it says that their king will come riding on a colt. And so Zechariah 9.9 9 is the, the prophecy that Jesus is acting out in front of them, coming as he did, and tying that together with the passage in 1 Kings where Solomon comes in the same way. Jesus is identifying himself as the promised Messiah. He's linking himself to the Zechariah prophecies. And everyone in that crowd is going to know about Zechariah chapter 4. So let's go there to Zechariah chapter 4. And I know you just love to stand, so I'll give you a little bit of exercise. Let's stand together as we read God's Word this morning. When the angel who talked with me returned and wakened me as a man is wakened from his sleep, he asked me, what do you see? I answered, I, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it, with seven channels to the lights. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, What are these, my lord? He answered, Do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I replied. So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it. God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range throughout the earth. Then I asked the angel, what are those two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand. Again I asked him, What are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, Do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I said. So he said, These are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Jesus understood as the people understood, and I'll let you sit in a minute, that those two branches were to be the king and the high priest who would stand together under the anointing of the Lord to rule and reign over his people, to inaugurate the kingdom of God. Jesus 
went into the temple, stood quietly, waiting, hoping, praying that the high priest would come out and say, Jesus, you are king. I will serve with you, and together we will serve the Lord and his kingdom come. That's what Jesus is waiting for. You may be seated. But the high priest will have none of it. He's not interested in, in ruling and reigning with Jesus. He's not interested in Jesus being the king. Jesus hasn't played their tune. Had the high priest come out, Jesus and he would have stood together. Now, that wouldn't have ended the need for Jesus to go to the cross. It, it wouldn't have stopped the need for Jesus to give his life, his, shed his blood as the ransom of redemption, but it would have happened in a different way. And the outcome of everything would have been transformed because the nation of Israel would have acknowledged its king and the kingdom of God would have flourished in a way like we could never possibly imagine. But that didn't happen. The people of Israel, the spiritual leaders, did not stand with Christ to bring about the salvation of the people of God. They rejected him. And in their rejection, they joined together with the enemies of Christ. Jesus the King is rejected. The crowd dissipates. Everybody goes home. They're going to come back again in a few days. But this time, they're not going to be shouting, Hosanna. This time, they're going to be shouting, Crucify! How quickly the crowd can change. How rapidly public opinion can shift. How quickly we can move from victory to defeat. From gain to loss. From life to death. The crowd, they're gone. The high priest ignores him. Considering Psalm 118 and Zechariah chapter 4, the high priest knew what was going on. He knew those texts very well. And so the awkward conclusion is evidence that the triumphal entry did not conclude the way Jesus had hoped. Verse number 11 lets us know that Jesus walks away heartbroken. And in just a few hours, as he comes over that hill again, Mount Olives, and looks out over Jerusalem, he'll sit on a rock, and he'll weep, and he'll cry, and he'll say, Oh, Jerusalem, if you had only known the hour of your visitation, if you had only recognized the moment of your hope, if you had only acknowledged and recognized 
that the answer to your cry, Hosanna, was right there with you, available to you. But you turned it away. Why was the king rejected? Why was Jesus rejected? Why, why did this opportunity get missed? Why is it that this chance for hope and life and redemption was lost? Well, the crowd rejected him because the cost was too high. You see... Jesus had been teaching, he'd been preaching, he talked to the crowd over and over again, and, and on, on more than one occasion, he would say to them, here's, here's what it takes, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, you want to be a disciple, you want to be part of my kingdom, well here it is, deny yourself, it's not great news, take up your cross. Wow, why, why would you carry a cross? What, what is a cross? Well, a cross is an instrument of death. And the reason you carry it with you is so that at any moment you can lay it down and climb on it and die. And as a follower of Jesus, that may not be that of infrequent a requirement as we might think. Follow me. Lots of people want Jesus to do for them. Lots of people want stuff from Jesus. But Jesus asks, Jesus desires, Jesus demands that we follow him. The establishment, well, they rejected him because he wouldn't conform to their mold. He didn't fit their program. He didn't look like them. He didn't walk the streets with his robes and his shoulders back and his head up and his chest out, stopping at every place where there's a crowd. Oh my God, I am so holy, so righteous. My, if only these people could be like me. How Good it is, Lord, that you have me on your side. You are so blessed that I have chosen to be one of yours. You see, Jesus preferred the house of Zacchaeus to the house of the high priest. He didn't go to their parties. He didn't come to their meetings. He didn't applaud when they did their stuff. Jesus went to the house of sinners. He went to the poor. He cared about the lost. He cared about those who were set aside. He, he spent time with those that society rejected. Jesus didn't applaud their religiosity. When he was holding his meetings... And the crowds were there. And these leaders were, were out in the crowd. He didn't say, oh, hey, George, come on up here. I, I got a nice seat for you. Now I'm going to get naughty for just a moment. 
And, and, and I, I'm being a, a, a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But most of the churches that I go to, I can tell where the pastor sits. When I go to the village, the church leaders sit on seats. The people sit sometimes in the dirt. Or maybe, if they're lucky, on a rock. Or perhaps a bouncy board. And Bubba, there better not be two bouncy boards side by side, or it might be a painful experience. I've had people come in here and look and say, where's the pastor seat? Well, any one of these. <laughs> we do that deliberately. It's a deliberate choice because, you see, pastors are no better than anybody else. We have a call, we have a task, we have a role to fill, but so do you. And, I, and we're no more important. So we shouldn't have special seats. Jesus didn't play that game with the leaders of his day. He wouldn't play that game with us. And so they rejected him. Because he didn't fit their mold. Well, all of that's wonderful. It's an ancient story. It's ancient history. It's an old event. But what about us? What will we do with the king? What have you done with the king up to today? What will you do with the king today? Jesus, you see enters our lives, just like he entered Jerusalem. He comes to us, comes by the power of the gospel, and he enters our life as Savior. And we like that part. We like the Savior part because, because well, that gets rid of the sin problem and it makes it certain that I will spend forever in heaven. We like that part. We, we all want that part. We, we're, we, we grasp onto the Savior part really fast, just like the crowd in Jerusalem that day. Oh, they, they wanted Jesus to bring them freedom. But do we want him as our king? I know lots of people in America don't because they put it on their bumper. They put it on their bumper all over the place. Jesus is my co-pilot. You know what that says? He's not the pilot. He's not the king. You see, to claim Jesus as king means that he has absolute, total, complete Authority over your life. He can tell you when to get up. He can tell you when to go to bed. He can tell you what to do with your money. He can tell you what job to take and what job not to take. He can tell you where to live. Oh, it's quiet. See, Jesus will be king of all or not king at all. 
Does Jesus rule your wallet? Does he rule over the decisions, the choices that you make day by day? Jesus came to be king. When he came to you and offered you salvation through the gospel, part of that salvation is his kingship. We sing it. He is Lord. Sent from the dead. And he is Lord. Now that's the easy part. Then we go to the next verse. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's my Lord. He's my Lord. He has risen from the dead and he's my Lord. Yes, my knee does bow and my tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's easy to sing Jesus is Lord because I can then assume he's your Lord. But when I sing Jesus is my Lord, are we singing a lie? He comes to his temple today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, says, You are the temple of the Lord. Now, that you is singular. So it means you, me, individually. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 16, it says, Don't you know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? That you is plural. Us. Right here. When we come, when, when we come in here like this, we become a temple of the Holy Spirit. My body is temple of the Lord. We together are the Lord's temple. So we can't escape. Jesus, when Jesus comes to his temple in the 21st century, he's coming to us. We are his temple. I am his temple. You are his temple. And he comes with exactly the same call. Deny yourself. You willing to deny yourself? You say, well, 
What does that mean? Well, it means giving up your day off to do something for the Lord. It, 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 it means going out in the heat sometimes to help a family. It means, it, it, it means cooking a meal so that a family who has just lost a loved one don't have to. It means showing up when showing up is tough. It means making your stuff available to others because they need it more than you do. It means cooking a meal and sending it over to a family that have just had a new baby and they're both worn out because they're up half the night trying to feed a new baby, trying to figure out what this new thing in their house is and how it works, what they're supposed to do with it. And all the ladies are chuckling. You see, denying ourselves is very practical. It's, it's not a head game. It's not an inner decision. It's very practical. It means letting Jesus rule your time. Letting Jesus rule everything that is in your hands that you have control over. It means letting Jesus guide your steps. Take up your cross. Oh, got a quick... You see, dying to ourself, again, is very practical. I got a thousand kwacha in my pocket, and I discover that there's a situation that a thousand kwacha could change. But boy, I've been thinking about that ice cream all day long. I go to the office and I discover that I've been falsely accused and the employer is about to do something really nasty. And I feel like lashing out, and I, 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 want, I, I want to fix this. But Jesus says, be still. There goes the cross down on the ground, and I've got to climb on it, and I've got to die to myself. I've got to die to my, I've got to deny myself. It's very practical. It's Jesus' call in our life to put others ahead of ourself. That's what dying to ourself means. It, means. it means that when somebody gets the promotion that we really wanted, we applaud for them. And we make up our mind that we're going to do everything that is in our power to do to make them successful and not to fail. We rejoice 
when others are blessed and we're not. Follow me. Two words simply means live your life in the way that Jesus lived his. Now, we don't understand all of it. And I'm, I got so much white hair that indicates that I'm 29 years old. I've got a birthday next month and I'm going to be 29. And I won't tell you how many times I've been 29. <laughs> I don't have it all figured out yet. I don't fully understand what it means to follow Jesus. But I know that I have a responsibility to follow him to the best of my ability and to the best of my knowledge. And that I have to be committed to learn every day more and more what it means to follow Jesus. So I ask again. What will our answer be? What will we do? This morning, we read a text that tells us that Jesus came to his temple nearly 2,000 years ago. But folks, from the moment that we began our very first greeting, he came here. And if you close your eyes... And imagine with me forget the sound of my voice but imagine Jesus standing here in the midst of his temple and he's looking around Peter tells us that we are a holy priesthood. You are, I am, that priest that Jesus is waiting for. So I'm going to ask you to do something this morning as you imagine Jesus standing here in the midst of his temple. He's come. He's come to invite us to join with him in his campaign to bring the kingdom of God to the world. I'm standing this morning because I want to stand with him. And this morning I'm going to challenge you. If you're willing to respond to that invitation, if, if you're not willing to let Jesus look around and leave his temple brokenhearted, will you stand? In standing, you're saying, Lord, I'm accepting you as my king, and I will partner with you in all ways possible to bring your kingdom to Malawi. How many in this place today, you're brave enough to hear the call to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him and partner with him in his work in this nation. Hallelujah.
Lord, all across this auditorium, people are standing. And they are standing to declare that you are Lord. And their commitment to respond to your call. Lord, if there's one here that does not know you as Savior, we pray that you would speak to them and draw them to yourself. And it may be that there is someone in this place today that you need to commit your life to Christ for the very first, first time. And I'm going to invite you to slip out of your seat and come and stand here at the front so that we can pray with you as the worship team leads us this, this morning as we bring this service to a close want to give you that opportunity that if you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you have never acknowledged Him as Lord in your life, and you want to do that today, you want to, you've heard the Spirit speak to your heart and draw you to Him, will you come that we can pray with you and believe with you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Your grace is sufficient. And we depend upon your grace today, Lord, that we might be able to fulfill the promise that we have made today, the commitment that we have made. Lord, for those that have been honest enough to not stand, I pray that you would continue to speak to them you would continue to work in their life, that you would continue to open their understanding, continue to walk with them and to open their hearts, that they might be able to move beyond receiving you as Savior to the place where they will allow you to become completely Lord of their life. And I know, Lord, for some that's a big step. But I ask that you would lead us all to that place in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You've been listening to the City Pentecostal Church Sermon of the Week with Pastor Harlan Purdy. You can listen, download, and share more messages like this one on our website, citypentecostal.church. Whether you're thinking of attending church for the first time, you're just visiting CPC, or you're looking for a new church to call home, we look forward to having you join us for worship sometime soon. Each Sunday, we have two services beginning with one at 9.30 a.m., which offers Sunday school, and the second service at 11.30 a.m. We're committed to making disciples in Malawi and around the world by bringing people from a life of darkness into newness of life in Christ and full of the Holy Spirit. If you're already a member of City Pentecostal Church, we thank you for your continued commitment to support our ministry and for glorifying God in all that you do and say. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again next week. Bye-bye. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon the throne. Ah, how the heavenly anthem drowns, oh, music but its own. Awake my soul and sing Of His who died for thee And Him
thy matchless King through all eternity. Crown him the Lord of love, behold his hands and side. Those wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. Now angel in the sky can fully bear that sight, but downward bends his burning eye at mysteries so bright. Crown him the Lord of life, who triumphed o'er the grave, who rose victorious in the strife, for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on Crown him the Lord of youth, the potentate of time, creator of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime. All hail, Redeemer, hail, for thou hast died for me. His praise shall never, never fail through 